as is typical for me. <clears throat> I got here 45 minutes before um, about 9.15, but that way, not 9.15. So I had about 45 minutes downstairs. <clears throat> And as happens sometimes for me, <clears throat> I'm I'm coming up with nothing to think of, to talk about. What am I going to talk? About? And uh, I've been doing this for long enough, my twenty fifth year now. <laughs> that that doesn't bother me. It might bother you. <laughs> <laughs> But even still, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> but, um, I walked out of my office and a dear person stopped me and put their arm on my bicep and looked me in the eye and, how are you? And I was touched by that. And I said, fine, fine. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> no, I'm just so spacey today. I don't know what's up. I'm a little off. And uh, and I really appreciated that. You know, it was, it was it was touching for one thing. It was nice to be recognized and everything. And it gave me something. To, oh, that's what I'll talk about. I. I'll talk about being vulnerable. You know, I'm, my saying I'm fine was not being vulnerable. Oh, also wasn't, I mean, I was fine with not being fine. <laughs> but, you know, this person pressed and I'm like, yeah, well, physically, I'm really, I'm really spaced out. Happens sometimes, you're not, you know, on your game. I may never really be on my game. <laughs> but today, I clearly am not. And uh, I remember I, I did the uh, Spirit Rock CDL training many, many, many years ago. And uh, it was the second training that they did. And they're still doing that. Um, it's a two-year program. And One of the teachers that came in to teach was George Mumford, who was a mindfulness teacher for um, L.A. Let's see, what do they call a basketball team? Lakers. The Lakers, L.A. Lakers, and he actually helped them uh, for many years. You know, group around mindfulness, and and their game went way up. So he's quite successful with that. And he came in one day and he was talking about, you know, that you can do this, you can be, um, that you want to recognize where to begin with, you want to recognize where your strengths are as well. That highlights and allows you to have the confidence to look at where your weaknesses are. You want to know these things and attend to your weaknesses through your strengths. And uh, so 
talked on that subject for a bit and open it up for questions. And I, I had the question, I was just about to go, my eyes are just watery today. I think it's part of whatever is going on for me physically. So anyway, um, I raised my hand and I, and I said, I'm about to go into prison to teach meditation. And um, I was invited and I was kind of excited by it. And then as it got closer uh, and I had to go through some training to, to do this. And as it got closer, before I actually started the program, I started to get very nervous. And I said, I'm, I'm actually afraid. And um, so that's a weakness, but I don't know where my strength is. And he goes, he, and he said, feel the fear and go in there anyway. <laughs> so simple. The strength is the courage that I was without mindfulness telling myself I didn't have the courage to do this after all. You know, I was considering not doing it. But he's, he's like, no, you just do it. You feel the fear and you go in there anyway. And that made so much sense. And I did it for three years. Jessica did it after I, after I did it. And it was incredibly rewarding. It was really, really rewarding experience. And I can bring up uh, memories of some of the more profound experiences I felt in watching these gentlemen uh, gain confidence and insight. It was, it was really beautiful and I can remember it still. So last time I spoke, I spoke a little bit about, you know, coming from the head into the heart a main practice, really nuts and bolts of this practice is recognizing and balancing the head with the heart. And this is called the chitta. So the head recognizing I'm, I'm scared and then stopping with that instead of following the thoughts around why am I scared and should I do this? Is it the wise thing to do? Do I have the courage? I don't think I have the courage. I'm not going to do this. How am I going to get out of it? All of this is narration, is story that we can actually wake up to that this doesn't lead us out of suffering. It's what we do. We create stories. But this story disconnects us from what we're actually feeling. So what George Mumford did for me was like, know that you're afraid and feel the fear. And then, and that's it. Now go in there and teach. Bringing the heart and the head together in balance with the Dhamma, feeling the reward, knowing the reward, acknowledging 
the benefit of what it feels like to be in balance. This might sound simple. I mean, it is simple, but it's not what we where we usually come from. Where we usually come from is, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And that was that was okay. But this person could see that. I mean, really, physically. I mean, they didn't say this, but I mean, really, are you okay? You know. And then it's like, yeah, I can be. It's one of the beauties about being in a community where people are really bringing their heart and, and uh, mind together is we can support each other. I was supported this morning and that felt really, really sweet to be present with this person. That's what we can do here as we struggle with our vulnerabilities and are honest with our vulnerabilities with each other. And we can do this in a place like this. Then when we find ourselves projecting, um, feeling nervous and anxious and projecting the problem outward, we can feel safe in this environment that we understand we're doing the best we can. Sometimes we fall on our face, you know, and that's okay. I'll fall on my, I have fallen on my face many times here and I have, uh, but I'm doing this in a place where people recognize, oh, you know that I I can fall on myself on my face and still feel safe in this environment. I can project a problem onto you, knowing that when I acknowledge this projection, that this person understands it, they accept it, and they value that. When a person isn't part of that system, you know, and then, then, then what, what do we feel internally? For myself, it might be uh, empathy, uh, to have missed out in, within this relationship, uh, a way to move forward. And, uh, in a leadership position, which probably everyone in here at some point has felt, has known, um, you will get projections. And it's so natural to want to resent or to correct, want to resent the person or correct the person. It's more spiritually mature to stay present with the person and be empathetic that they're doing the best they can and they've met their limit. But if they stick around, they're gonna recognize, oh, that was a misstep and then share. I've done this so many times. If you stick around, I'll probably do it to eat you. <laughs> 
you know, and it, it's a it's a wonderful feeling to be surrounded with like-minded people whose aim is to do better than they're doing right now, to better in the sense of kindness, in the sense of wisdom, in the sense of learning how to actually be free from all habits that are unwholesome. Projection is very unwholesome. It's painful. It's painful to the person doing it. It's painful to the person receiving it, except for fully enlightened people. <laughs> but it's uh, really worth uh, being part of a culture where we can meet each other where we truly are. We can, we can recognize each other's strengths and accept that without having to like, oh, I wish I were that way. I wish I was more like that. But appreciate and be happy for the person whose strengths are showing. And then be present with the weaknesses as well. And have empathy by being by staying with the experience of being projected on knowing they have met their best and in that experience we can remember what it feels like when we're doing it ourselves projecting on another person you you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be like this you should be like let me tell you how you should be. <laughs> Nobody likes that. But recognize that we all, it's, a, it's, it's our habit. We all do it. We all have the tendency to want to uh, be a little exaggerate with what, how we present ourselves uh, to some degree, not being completely honest, but wanting to actually you know, promote ourselves, say, to some degree that we have a strength that we don't have. That's one of the, that's a, um, not a good, um, see, I'm, I'm, I'm spacing out here. It's, it's a weakness that is against the monastic rules to ever say or promote yourself as with a skill that you don't have or a spiritual attainment that you don't actually have. Uh, that is a no-no. In lay life, we don't have those kind of restrictions, but we have a culture here that can exemplify our willingness to be vulnerable and recognize, you know, and ask, pardon or forgiveness when we're not, when we, you know, when we do project, when we do present ourselves with a, um, a skill that we don't actually have and then and meet up with that. It's okay to do that here. And it's really beneficial to acknowledge it. I suppose all of us can remember a time when 
somebody did something that really hurt us, maybe surprised us, put us back a little bit, like, what, what, what? And then a day, a week, a year later, that person comes up to you and says, you know, I realize I missed up there and I just, just want to say I'm sorry. That feels so good. You know, it, 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 it's like balm to you know, a little bit of a sore spot. It heals. It can heal a relationship that we might not have even known was, you know, uh, was weakened. But when we do this, that shows amazing strength. Now we're moving into strengths. We've, we've, we, when we recognize our weaknesses, acknowledge it, you know, and be honest with it and take steps to, you know, to write it, that brings it into a strength. It's like, it's, this image has come to my mind be, before, but it's like in the Buddha's enlightenment, you know, there's this period where the arrow, arrows are being shot at him and they turn into flowers. You know, this is a moment of being awake to the reality of how things really are. And we are step by step learning to wake up to what's wholesome, what's beneficial, what's healing, what's kind. It lifts our heart. It, it breaks down barriers, which we start to put up when we deny, you know, well, they should have done that. You know, there's a little bit of irritation there. So, oh, yeah. And how do we start? How do we start changing our habits? How do we start to wake up and heal? By bringing our mind and heart together. What am I feeling? What am I feeling right now? So instead of just what am I thinking about what I'm feeling? I'm feeling scared. I'm just going to go in there anyway. Yeah, but you're scared. I don't know that you should go in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do this. Yeah, but listen to me. <laughs> you might get murdered. <laughs> it's like, I'm going in, and yes, I'm scared. And then they were just so kind, actually. You know, they were really suffering and they knew it. And they wanted a way out while they were in prison. You know, it's a beautiful experience. I was so nervous that I had nothing to say. Then, and believe me, this happens oftentimes. And so far, <laughs> I always have something to say. <laughs> and that's part of the beauty of this place, just speak from where you're actually, what are you, what's going on right now? Uh, I'm not scared, but I am feeling vulnerable. <laughs> so, okay, let's have that as a topic. What I was going to do, what I had planned to do, because I wasn't coming up with anything, and I, and I was so spacey this morning, was to open it up, just like, I'll just open it up from the very beginning. 
know, and then I don't have to come up with a topic. Let you guys come up with a topic. When my, um, as my mother was declining, and when she went into hospice, all the years of anxiety, of you know, not the best mom thoughts, not saying this to her, but, you know, I wish you were like this and da-da-da-da. You know, they just all went out the window. It's really good practice for a year to die. She had about six weeks at the most and ended up being three weeks. Um, but, yeah, it was a, just a beautiful experience to to be with her. Uh, my mom wasn't somebody that says, I love you. And I got to spend three weeks where I lived in her in her room uh, with her, telling her I loved her and doing things that I knew that she loved that I had spent years thinking were was misled. Like she was a devout Catholic and um, felt the only way, you know, to get to heaven was um, through Jesus. And I didn't have the same thought pattern or belief system. And that was important to me uh, for a long, for many, many years. But then as she's dying, it, it just all went out the window. I read her, her favorite passages in the Bible. I chanted uh, all the saints' names that were listed. I can't remember if it was in the Bible or in a booklet of hers or whatnot. I reminded her of all the good things that she had done that I could actually relate to. She couldn't speak at this time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so beneficial to recognize when, we, you know, our projections are grounded in our views and opinions. And I had plenty of them around my mom. And, uh, but being present for the experience of, the, the real experience of somebody passing, whether that's yourself, or the practice of getting ready for it, or being with somebody that's actually dying. It's, it's really valuable to wake us up to how things, what's really wholesome, what's really lifts my heart. You know, whether you're afraid, you can still lift your heart. Whether you're uh, angry, you can still use that as what does it feel like in the body to be angry? What does it feel like in the body to be confused? What does it feel like in the body um, to be sad? And, and, and recognizing that physical sensation being present for it, being okay with whatever's going on, and then relaxing the body. That will help us stay out of the headspace that says you shouldn't be doing it. It's not like this. Run the other way. Push somebody to try to do it your way. Any of that narration that starts to go on 
can be stopped by bringing ourselves back into the body, feeling where are we right now? Where does, what is, what, how is this manifesting in my body? Relax, accept. And what comes up is what's left is, is love. Ajahn Sumedho talked about at one point at a retreat that I was on with him at one point. He talked about how there, when he was a young um, monk, there was a, another monk that at the monastery that really, really irritated him. He just didn't like him. He, he had all sorts of reasons not to like him. He felt justified not to like him. And he just couldn't, he could not get past this. So he thought, I'm going to write down, just try to get this out of my system. I know this isn't, this is not healthy. I can't seem to let it go because he really is annoying. <laughs> so I'm going to write down everything that I don't like about him. And he's, he's started writing them down <laughs> and I don't remember the number but I'll say it was like three solid pages front and back something like this really surprised me that he could go that long and finally he couldn't think of anything else he can, he's like oh, I can't think of anything else that I don't like about this person that's really irritating about him and so he put his pen and pencil pen and paper down and he says well now what now what's left and to his surprise what was less left was a sense of love for this person the problem the irritation the angst was his problem Ajahn Sumedho's problem wasn't actually this other monk. He's, this is the way he is. I don't need to pick it up and make it my problem. And so when he didn't, he could love this person for what he was trying to do and for all the, any of his limitations that he, that Ajahn was being irritated by and he re recognized he doesn't have to be irritated. He also doesn't have to involve himself with this person. He has to live with them, you know, and he has to listen to them sometimes, but he doesn't have to hate them. He doesn't have to be irritated. That's, that's him picking it up and making him a problem. So in seeing that, then there's this huge release and then he's really grateful to this person because it provided him with the opportunity to understand his own suffering, Ajahn Sumedho's own suffering. So in release then, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And he, and he felt love. And it's not love like, oh, I love you so much. <laughs> it's not gooey and unhealthy it's it's just appreciation for the willingness for this person to be present while he's on the same path they're doing this together 
it's getting down to what we're feeling. So we we spend a lot of time thinking, and it's not our intellectual mind that that gets liberated. You know, it's not this. It shouldn't be this way. They shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be thinking about them. None of that gets liberated because it just it's just thought. It's it's like um, this is just this little flower pot doesn't get liberated. It's just a little flower pot, and I can be aware of it just like I can be aware of my thoughts. The thought itself doesn't get liberated, and so as we get wound up and trying to thinking think our way out of suffering we're not on the path to liberation. We can get liberated from being aware of what we're feeling and just letting that feeling pass. Knowing we're going to re-engage with the mind, then through wisdom, we choose the wholesome path. You know, just so in, in just little, small moments taking advantage of being able to steer the mind toward wholesomeness and then allowing that feeling even to pass we're allowing ourselves to we're finding a way to be present with things that hook us and not being and not letting ourselves get hooked by them the, the, the story hooks us and we can let, we can acknowledge, oh, there's a story that I keep telling myself that when I'm afraid, I need to run the other way. I need to not go in there. No, that's just, that's just a story. You feel the fear and you go in there anyway.